I don't know if you remember that series of commercials that Southwest Airlines ran, but some of them are pretty funny predicaments. But you get in these situations, and you know, your heart is saying, I just want to get out of here. I want to get away. Now, obviously, this is a commercial. They want you to get away, so you pay for tickets on Southwest Airlines to get away. But today, David, our author in Psalm 55, he wants to get away. And he's not just on vacation here. He's in a situation where he really wants out of it, and he wants to escape. And we're going to see that in the heart of this passage today in Psalm 55. So what's going on, David? What's going on in his life? Well, we're going to discover that here in just a little bit. This is a psalm just like last. It's going to sound a little familiar to last week's psalm, Psalm 54, in that it's a personal lament psalm. God, I'm in a jam. God, my life is miserable right now. And a lot of your psalms sound like that, and they sound very familiar. He's bringing a situation to God of lament. Things aren't going well, Lord. Please help me. Come alongside me. And that's what these psalms are about. The main point in my sermon today, and I hope that we see this by the time we're done, is that in times of fear and betrayal, instead of running away, we're gonna run to God for help. Instead of running away, we're gonna run to God for help. That's Psalm 55. Let's take a look. The first thing that we see in first eight verses is just this fear. Look at what David says. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me, answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Wow. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. First three verses, David's pleading. He's saying, God, I need you to hear me here. Would you please listen? In fact, in the second part of verse one there, it's, it's almost like he senses that God isn't, that God is ignoring him a little bit. And so he just continues on, I need you, God, right now. Please don't ignore my plea. Have you ever been there where you're bringing things to the Lord, you're, you're in earnest prayer, and it feels like nothing is happening? Maybe you even sense that maybe God isn't hearing this. Now, I spoke of this last week. He does. God does hear us very clearly, but sometimes when we come to him, it feels that way, doesn't it? There's internal struggles, struggles going on in David's life. It, he says, my thoughts, he speaks of that in, in verse two, my thoughts trouble me, I'm distraught. I can't sleep, I can't even focus. I, everything I think about is this situation that's going on, God. I'm just, I'm a mess. Would you please help me? So it's in me, it's in, inside me, in my heart, and my mind, but there's things going on externally too. Look at verse three. 
as if that's not enough, my enemy is talking. My enemy is saying things about me. They're threatening me with their words. Something's going on here. He hasn't divulged fully what it is, but he's feeling threatened from the outside. People are saying things about him. Now, in this chapter, as we go through it, you're going to see words play a part. When David, as he feels fear and being threatened, it's about what are people are saying. You all know how powerful words can be, right? When people say things about you, may or may not be true, but how hurtful they can be and how damaging they can be to you. And so you've probably felt some of this. You can begin to understand how he's feeling. And then he speaks of this fear that he has. In verse four and five, he uses words like anguish, terror, fear and trembling, and a word that only occurs a couple times in all of scripture, horror. I mean, this is like your worst nightmare is going on here. And ultimately, he says, I'm overwhelmed. All of these things are just overwhelming me. There's times, you know, in my life, I know, where I've got it together. Things are good. I can handle this. And then there's other days, have you ever been just, it's too much. Everything is laying on top of me. I'm overwhelmed. And there's just this sense of fear, and you can't go anywhere, and it paralyzes you. This is what David is experiencing in his heart. You know, one of the values of Psalms, and I, the reason I love to preach Psalms is because we can come to Psalms and hear emotions. I think sometimes, as Christians, we're a little afraid of them. We think when we come to church, we've gotta have it looking good on the outside, right? I'm okay, how are you? I'm okay, I'm good. You know, there's that other commercial, sorry about this, I watch too much TV, maybe I'm getting to that. <laughs> the AT&T commercial. Oh, it's okay. Okay is not okay. That's kind of the way we are sometimes. I think we feel like if we're a real Christian, you know, we, we have God, we can trust God, so if I'm, if I'm fearful or if I'm angry or if I'm out of sorts, then shame on me. And what David wants us to hear is if we really know God, if we really are in a relationship with God, we can bring that to him. We don't have to fake it like everything's great. We don't. We can be gut level honest, and that's what I love about the Psalms. You know, oftentimes we sound like a Hallmark card. You know, very little of life is a Hallmark card. Is that true? When in reality, we live in the real world where things get a little ugly sometimes. We get shook, so we need him. So just know that in the laments, David understands he's there and he writes these things that are preserved for us to read. So what's going on, David? You wanna fly away, verse six. Lord, if I had wings of a dove, that would be a beautiful thing right now. I would get away, I'd go out into the desert, I would go to a desolate, lonely place where nobody could find me. Wow. Now, this idea of flying away, we have the hymn, right? All fly away. And when you put a banjo to that, that's good stuff. And we sing it, and that's a song of joy because it's talking about a whole different flying away, isn't it? That's talking about going to be with Christ. 
That's talking about resurrection. That's talking about, hey, I know Jesus. I'm going to fly away and be with him. Okay, so that's a whole different feel than this song. There would be no banjo here with this. This would be sung very quietly and in very low tones because David's saying, I just want to escape here. I want literally to get away. You know, when we feel this way, we're in good company. In the Old Testament, I think of a couple examples of people that wanted to get away. First one is Jonah. Now, interestingly enough, the word Jonah literally means dove. That's what the Hebrew word Jonah means. David says, I wish I had the wings of a dove where I could fly away. Guess what Jonah did, the dove? He ran away from God on purpose, and he ran in the opposite direction of God, God, where God wanted him to be. So there's an example of someone who definitely wanted to get away, and God had different plans for him, the dove. But then think of the person of Elijah in 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18, Mount Carmel. Great story, great victory, great faith. 450 prophets of Baal. He battles them single with him and God up on that hill, right? And he shows that God is the God. And he wins this great victory and Ahab is humbled. He comes back down the hill. But I'm glad that we have chapter 19 of 1 Kings in our Bible too. Because what happens? Well, he gets a note. He gets a letter. Because Ahab had gone home and told Jezebel what had happened. So Jezebel goes, oh. She writes a little note saying, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, then I'm not Jezebel. So she sends him this note, and he gets this note, and you're thinking, here's a man of great faith. What's he going to do? Oh, who cares, right? He had just seen God at work. What does he do? He runs. He flees. He goes out into the desert, and he sits down by this little scrub brush, and he says, God, I just want to die Everything had fallen out. And it just shows the humanness of Elijah, the great prophet. And it just shows who we are sometimes. We would just want to get away and run and hide. And if we were honest, Father, I, my life right now, it just, I don't, it's not worth it right now. That's just the way I feel. God ministered to him, sent an angel, cared for him. But that's this idea of, of running away. You know, there's different ways to escape. You, entertainment is a good one. Maybe you can escape through entertainment. Binge watching on Netflix, right? I mean, hours upon hours can be had going, doing things that are fun just to kind of get away. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your work that you go to to escape. Maybe it's relationships, Maybe it's a lot of these things. Now, there's, it's good to get away. Patty and I are getting away to the beach next week. We'll probably have a little short vacation later on uh, next month. We need that. That's refreshing. That's positive. That's, but this is different. This is getting away to escape. It's avoidance. It's like putting a little sugar or a little salt on your food is fantastic. But if you overdo either of those, it, it can be a little bit obnoxious. And that's what we're talking about here, this running away. God understands our desire to flee. God understands this in us. Jesus understands this. Why do I say that? 
Look what it says in Mark 14, verse 36. This is the story. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, and this is what Jesus says. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible. Everything's possible for you, Father, everything. So, if that's true, take this cup from me. Escape. It's there. It's a thought. Crosses his mind. He's battling this. The thing that's ahead of me is difficult here. I want to run away a little bit. But not what I will, but what you will. Relying on his Abba Father, he pushes forward just like you and I. He understands this. Now, the fear, that's one thing. You know, flight, fight and flight. We have that. One of them is flight. The other one is fight. If you come at me, I'm going to, you know, get back right at you. And that's part of our human reaction. So David's going to turn from flight, where he wants to fly away, to more of a fight in verses 9 to 15. But he's going to call on the Lord to do his fighting for him. Look what he says in these verses. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words. Again, look where speech is here. They're saying things about me. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. He's talking about Jerusalem here. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies, they never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. I would expect it. If a foe were rising up against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Ouch. Let death take my enemies by surprise, David says. Here's the fight, God. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. For evil finds lodging among them. Wow. Fury in here. God, you see what's happening. Would you please take up my case? Look at the wicked. And he asks God in verse 9, he says, Would you please confuse them and confound their words? Remember back in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel? Mankind, they were building this tower. They were going about their own business without God, right? And they were worshiping creation rather than the creator. And they were not obeying what God had told them to do, which is spread out and populate this earth. They all were coming together at the Tower of Babel. It says God looked down on them and he confused their language. It's the same idea here, God. Would you please bring confusion and confound my enemies here? Just intervene for me and do what I know you can do. And then he, he begins in verse 10 to speak about the wickedness in the city. Jerusalem was God's city. When David's referring to the city, speaking of the city, that this is where God dwelt. This is the city where he was God's king. And so it's an affront to God, it's an affront to him as God's chosen king. You know, as I read these verses, I thought of our city, Portland, and some of the descriptors that it has in here. See if some of these sound familiar to where we live a little bit. 
prowling about malice and abuse, destructive forces are at work, threats and lies, never leave at streets. Does, are you getting a sense of, yeah, <laughs> watch the news. Take a trip downtown at any particular time. You're gonna see some of this. People are just riled up for whatever cause that they feel, you know, a week ago, I believe, or maybe it was two weeks ago, we talked about how the, the evil run away when nobody pursues. There's this sense of dread that's ever on them when they don't know God. And I, I think our cities are a prime example of that, just the mess. In verse 10, he speaks of this wall, about they walk about up on the wall. Now, what's interesting in verse 10 there, this wall that was built to keep the people inside from what was outside there's a problem, look at verse 10. He says, our real issue is inside. They're within it. This malice and abuse are within the city. They're not out there. The problem isn't the enemy out there, it's what's going on in people's hearts in the city. This wall, it's there, but to be honest, it's not doing anything against them. So he's looking at the wicked and in the city and the mess, but then he turns in verse 12. He says, that's one thing. We kind of expect that. And that's not that painful. I can deal with it. But look what he says, starting in verse 12. And this is really the thing that marks this chapter kind of as a special one. If an enemy were insulting me, big deal. I could, I could endure that. If it were a foe, I could run away and hide from a foe, he had done that, called Saul, right? But this hurts. Someone like me, it's my companion, it's my close friend, and make it even worse, we worship together in the temple courts. Have you ever been betrayed by a close friend? A close friend. If you have, you can begin to resonate a little bit with what David is saying here and how that feels. I think back in my life and I was trying to recall, have I been betrayed by a close friend? And I honestly, I was trying to remember, I mean, I've been betrayed by people, but not close. But there was one instance, and I thought of this as I was preparing for the sermon. This goes back into my high school years where I came upon a note that was written by my girlfriend at the time, and it was written to a close friend of mine saying, hey, you know, we should get together, and I'd like to go out with you. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. This, it was my close friend and my girlfriend in a note saying they want to get together, and I'm like, what is going on here? And I'll never forget, and maybe you can understand this, all of the emotions that welled up. Jealousy, anger, hurt, wound. And you know, even recalling it all these years ago, I can still kinda, you can still kinda go back and feel a little bit of that because it, it's deep, it hurts. That person was supposed to be my friend, a Christian brother, they're betraying me. And that's what David is saying here. He doesn't identify the person, although there's some ideas about who it might be. There's a story about Julius Caesar, I wanted to read this, and it has to do with betrayal. 
says, Julius Caesar knew such treachery among the conspirators who assassinated him on the Ides of March, 44 BC, was Marcus Junius Brutus. Um, Caesar not only trusted Brutus, he had favored him as a son. According to Roman historians, Caesar first resisted the onslaught of the assassins. He put up a fight. But when he saw Brutus among them with a dagger drawn, Caesar ceased to struggle, pulling the top part of his robe over his face. He asked the famous question, you too, Brutus, you too? Gave up the fight, it hurt, it was a wound. Psalm 41.9, David says this, he says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. This is close. This is personal, David says. So who was this? Well, some of the scholars, we know for sure that David was betrayed by his own son, Absalom. We see that story in 2 Samuel chapter 15. His own son basically organized a coup and overtook the throne and chased David out of Jerusalem where he literally did have to flee Jerusalem for his life. So him and a group of his loyal friends escaped Jerusalem because his son is chasing him out of town wanting to take his life and kill him. But there was another person who was very close to David, who was a counselor, an advisor of David's. Ahithophel was his name. And a lot of Bible scholars feel like this psalm, these verses are talking about that counselor who he gave, David let him in on a lot of things. He was very private conversations. There was worship at the temple together with him. And now Ahithophel had joined forces with his son and become a traitor. And all of those things that David had shared in secret with him are now being shared with his enemy. And I'm sure that that was one account for sure where David could have very easily written this. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 30 and 31, there's this scene of David as he's fleeing from his son. And here's what it says. It says, David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too. They, they were weeping as they went up from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley up the Mount of Olives escaping. But there, there's this picture of them weeping. Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ouch. So David prayed, Lord, sound, this will sound familiar, Turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. Just what he prays here in Psalm 55. Would you take his counsel, Lord, and confuse it, confound it. Turn his words right back on his own head, Lord. This is a close associate. I see in this story, it's amazing. You know, Jesus understands our desire to flee, but he also understands what it feels like to be betrayed. We know the story. There's this picture of Christ where he's in the upper room, Last Supper, and just like David says, I broke bread with this person. That's how close we were. Jesus was breaking bread with his disciples, one of them being Judas Iscariot. Jesus had washed their feet. He was showing love to this person who was gonna betray him, knowing full well who it was. He, we broke bread together. And then there's Jesus up in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, weeping. 
just pouring out his heart to God, just a very similar picture as what we see here with David and his clan as they're going up the Mount of Olives. There's this weeping and this idea of betrayal in the middle of it. Jesus knowing full well as he's there in the garden weeping and along comes Judas with the Roman legion and how painful that is. Jesus understands these things. It's a picture of Christ. Look at verse 15. We began this section here with a call to God to bring down his curse upon them, and it ends that way in verse 15, and it's pretty intense. It says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. This idea of death taking them by surprise, let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. That actual phrase of going down alive to the realm of the dead is used in Numbers chapter 16. There's the story as Moses and Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, there was a group of people under the leadership of Korah and there were some other ones that are actually named there, Dathan and Abiram, who had come and said, who's Moses? And they had basically questioned his authority and they tried to set themselves up as leaders and take over the authority away from Moses. And so Moses came to God with this. And in, you can go to Numbers 16, verse 31 to 33, and this exact phrase appears in that context. Moses says to the people of Israel, God is going to show you who's in charge. So I want you all to step back from these people and know that God's judgment is gonna come upon them. What happened? We know the story how the earth opened up and how they went from being alive down into the realm of the dead. We see it happening. David's basically saying the same thing to God. God, they're challenging your king, me. Would you please deal with that in your way? Now we have to be careful with this. These, we call these imprecatory psalms, right? I mean, we have to be careful about praying down judgment on people. That's not our job. God is the one who judges. In fact, we're told to pray for our enemies, but I think David here is saying, God, they're fighting not just against me here. It's against you. Take up your cause against them, Lord, please. And I think that's what David is saying here. And so they're opposing your king, they're opposing you, Lord. Take them down. Well, verse 15 is kind of a dark verse. And then everything, it's like this switch goes off in verse 16. A lot of the, some of the commentaries, it was interesting, some of the commentaries think maybe this was added on later, this next section. And I don't think that's true. I think this is just David turning a switch in his head and saying, okay, that was the fear, that was the judgment and the fury, but God, you're here. It's that but God moment. Look what he says in verse 16 through the end. He says, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. He hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. Does that sound familiar? 
We're coming back to that one. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant, that person betraying me. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they're drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. So David's been going, I'm in, I'm, I'm in this mess, God. I need your help. There's fear all around me. I've been betrayed by someone that's incredibly close to me. But he's gonna do four things here in this section. The first thing is I'm gonna call out to God in verse 16. I'm just gonna call out to him. Instead of focusing on what's going on, I'm gonna focus on you. Remember last week I said, you know, sometimes we do this. We go, I know God's sovereign, but there's this situation in my life. Or I know God's loving, but I don't feel that right now. I don't feel loved. And I last week talked about, let's switch that around. I might not feel loved, but God is love. God is there, he's constant, I can trust him. So my situation's over here and it's real, but my God is so much bigger and he's my focus. I don't feel like things are in control right now, but God is sovereign. It's a mess, it's real, but this is God. I'm focusing on him. That's what David is doing here. The switch has gone on. Now it's about God. He calls out to him. And two names for God here. Again, I always try to highlight that in the Psalms when I remember it. And then we're gonna see those two names through the rest of the chapter. The first one is God, which is Elohim. In the NIV, God, Elohim. It's the first word that we see in scripture. In the beginning, God. It's the broad name for who God is. He's the creator. He is the sovereign sustainer of our universe. That is our God. He's crying out to him. You're in control here, Lord. Would you please sustain me? And I'm trusting your sovereignty. But then he goes, Lord, all caps. What what is that name? Yahweh, covenant God. That is your personal name. That's the name you gave to Moses at the burning bush. That's the name where I know you're faithful to what you promised. That's the name that I know you by in relationship. Yahweh, would you please step into my situation and save me? You know, God provides deliverance and saves us in different ways. He sometimes saves us from something, so we totally, it's gone. It's last week. Talked about the situation where Saul was coming to capture David and then God just called him away back to Jerusalem because of the Philistines. The situation was dealt with for the time. God stepped in and the, the problem went away. So sometimes it's, we're saved from, sometimes we're saved in something. We're in it. God's still there saving us, delivering us in it. And then sometimes God saves us through it. We have to go through that thing. We're in it, or maybe we have to go through it, but in all those things, God delivers, he saves us. 
And then verse 17, David says, all day long I'm gonna call out to you, and it's interesting, he says evening, morning, noon. Why doesn't he say morning, noon, evening? Reason being, in the Hebrew mind, this is the way they saw the day. If you go back to Genesis 1 in creation, all six days, it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. There was evening, morning, throughout that whole chapter one. It's interesting, in their mind, that's kind of the way he saw it. It's just another way of saying, God, all day long I'm gonna cry out to you. Um, and you're gonna be there. And then look what God is doing. So he calls out to God and he praises God, verses 18 to 21. God, you save me, you hear me, and you're gonna rescue me. God, you are at work here. In verse 18, he speaks of God's rescue. And then his character. He says, God, you are enthroned of old. You are the king that's been on the throne from way back when for all eternity. Psalm 74, 12, God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. David knew that about God. You weren't born just yesterday here, God. You've been the king on your throne for all eternity, and you will be the king on your throne. And you do not change, God. You're immutable. You don't go one day one way and the next day. Isn't that nice to know that about God? He's gonna stay the same. But they... It gives a little contrast. They have no fear of God, the evil. We've seen that in chapter 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. No God for me. Last week in chapter 54, we saw the same thing. There's no regard for God in their life. He's saying the same thing here in this. My enemy is a person that you can't trust their word. You can trust God. He's Yahweh. He's the promise keeper. My this guy is a liar, he's a covenant breaker, and he's a hypocrite in verse 20 and 21. He violates his covenant in verse 20. He has smooth talk, but there's war in his heart. He has soothing talk. It looks like he's trying to heal or soothe the situation, but there's really a wounding heart there. And then verse 22, he calls out, he praises God, and then casting his care upon God, 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter knew this verse, and so he takes it in 1 Peter 5, 7, says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's quoting Psalm 55. Cast, it's the same word used in Luke 19 when the disciples cast their cloaks upon the donkey that Jesus sat on, and then they put Jesus up on the donkey. The idea is I'm letting him take it because I can't. It's too great for me. Jesus can handle this. And the word cares, it literally, that word literally means my lot in life. Whatever's going on, wherever I'm at, I give it to him. I cast it upon him because he cares. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, it's light. Cast your burden upon me, cast your cares upon me. And then I love how he ends. The final statement, at the end of the day, but as for me, he says, I'm just gonna trust God. I'm gonna call out to God, I'm gonna praise him, I'm gonna cast my cares upon him, and then I'm gonna trust him. And that's where I'm gonna end. He started out with prayer, 
He moved to focusing on God in verse 16. Now it's trust, and that's where he's gonna stay. You know, the Psalms call us not only to deal, to be real with our cares, but also to cast these cares upon the Lord. Are you doing both? Are you being real with God about what's going on? And in that being real, are you just letting him have it, casting your care upon him? You know, this is the story of Christ. I'm gonna have Josh come and do communion here, but this is the story. Jesus refused to flee. Maybe we wanna get, get away. Jesus didn't do that. He stayed. He didn't fight his enemies. He let God take care of that. He was silent. He chose to trust his father and put himself in his father's hands. That's what we need to do. That's the story for us to follow in his steps. He experienced the pain of betrayal. He gets it. And if you get betrayed, that hurts more than maybe anything on this world. He understands that. He went to the cross in spite of all this to bring about our redemption. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning in communion.